Hi, everybody. Welcome to the October 7th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Tuesday's vice presidential debate between Republican Mike Pence and Democrat Tim Kaine. Petty Cahoon from Westward. You don't have to say anything more. <laughs> you know, what was the matter with Kaine? It was incredible. Clearly, he was taking instructions because everything about the Democrats' role in these debates is scripted. But no, Tim Kaine is as spontaneous and honest as Hillary. Hurricane, we're calling him. Why was he interrupting? We can't figure out why he was interrupting, but it certainly didn't help his cause. I had plenty of reason to have him <laughs> be interrupting repeatedly and, and calling But tell me, don't worry, it didn't help. There was no reason that he would have been forewarned that that was a bad idea, given that it had been a narrative of the Trump and How Clinton campaign. How could you campaign. not interrupt lie after lie after lie? We don't do it at this table. David, what do you think? Tim set him up, uh, Pence set himself up well for 2020 as sane, uh, well-informed on issues. And, of course, he, as you have to if you're Trump's running mate, he, he did, as Kara said, just flagrantly deny many things which Trump had said which are indefensible. But on the other hand, Hillary does that for herself as well. So that, that's kind of par for the course. But if there's a... If the party will ever exist again, which I'm not sure it will, uh, he might he can bring together the Trump faction and the, uh, the normal ones. I just have to say. <laughs> it fits the topic. Go for it, Kira. <laughs> I love it when David Kopel agrees with me right out of the game. Okay. <laughs> Eric, you get the final shot here. Somewhat seriously, what we've just learned, the four of us. Is interrupting is hard work. It doesn't yeah, it come. Really is. It doesn't come naturally. We all had to sort of force it here, uh, and which tells me that Tim Kaine that wasn't accidental. There was some strategic calculation to it, and I don't understand what the strategic calculation was. As I said, it had been a narrative coming out of the first debate. He knew people were going to be on the watch for it. David is right. Pence did himself more good probably than he did Donald Trump, but uh, the real question is: Do vice presidential? debates move the meter and historically they haven't i don't think that one did yeah this is uh, just this little experiment here interrupting is exhausting <laughs> mentioned tim kane needed some gatorade all right well, let's get to it our first topic the denver city council voted this week to officially change the second monday in october to indigenous people's day which would replace columbus day meanwhile amidst one of the largest gathering of native americans happening now in north dakota there will be likely be competing protests during the columbus day parade this weekend uh, Patty, Westward has covered this issue really well over the years, especially this week. Uh, take, it away. take it away. Well, it's fascinating that Colorado was the first state to make Columbus Day a holiday back in 1907, and we are still debating it politely without interrupting, at least until tomorrow's parade. What's really fascinating this year is there's a new generation of American Indian leaders in Colorado who are going to be leading the protest. We talked to Glenn Morris, who was long the spokesperson for it, and this is a group of... Uh, in indigenous women who are, it's gay, lesbian, 
transgender, that's twin spirit, I think, inclusive, and they are fighting the pipeline issue. They were up in um, on the reservation doing that. They're back in Denver. They are going to be leading the protest against the Columbus Day Parade, which might be the worst publicized parade in the history of the world. I don't think it's because of bad, uh, because they're concerned that people are going to protest. I think they just had bad PR people. Every year we can never find out when it is. But tomorrow we will have protests landing at the Capitol at 1.30, and we will have a Columbus Day Parade somewhere downtown. And we will have Indigenous Peoples Day on Monday. But Denver long ago gave up actually making it a real holiday because they switched it off with Cesar Chavez Day. David, at the, at the, I guess at the end of the day, is this a big deal? There's still going to be a parade. There's still going to be protests protest of the parade. I'm not really sure if anyone cares what the city of Denver calls it, but I could be wrong. What do you think? Well, when you see the bills in the legislature every year by uh, Representative Salazar, you get a lot of people testifying and uh, Kudos to the legislature for making those things available by audio so you can actually listen to it as, as I did last time around. There were good arguments on, on both sides. Um, many of the people who want to get rid of Columbus Day say, well, we, we're all in favor of, of Italians having their own day. We just don't want it to be for Columbus uh, because while he was, he was a great navigator, he was also... Uh, he enslaved some of the Taino Indians, uh, who were the first ones he met, and they, unlike the Arawaks, who he later met, uh, the Tainos were completely peaceful and innocent, uh, you know, of, uh, and undeserving of his uh, malicious uh, dealings and unfair dealings with him. So you want to do something for Italians, and you don't want it to be Columbus. Here's the compromise. Antonin Scalia Day. We just named the day after him. He's a pop. He's one of the greatest, most successful, most influential Italian-Americans. I mean, probably one of the most five influential justices in the history of the U.S. Supreme Court. Just name it for him. And he's never done anything bad uh, to uh, Indians. Never, never enslaved anyone, you know, didn't, didn't uh, capture people. Uh, on this pipeline issue, the fact is this pipeline in North Dakota doesn't go through any tribal land, not one inch. It's private property, which didn't use eminent domain. They all made voluntary agreements with the property owners. It follows existing pipeline paths. Uh, the case was argued before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, just earlier this week. We'll, we'll see what they have to say. But the only plausible legal argument is the federal government is, has some obligations for some of that land uh, to consult with the Indians. Well, there have been 398 meetings, so perhaps that will be considered sufficient consultation. Eric, the, the city never makes a statement by uh, changing this day, but it's not a holiday, even as Indigenous Peoples Day, it's not going to be a holiday. So uh, does it make much of an impact? It shows that morals change as time moves on. I happen to object to the notion that you have to hold people accountable in today's mores for things that happened hundreds of years ago. I think that's a mistake, but I don't have any problem with morals moving on and reflecting current values, so I'm fine with that. I think David had the right idea of not doing it for Columbus Day, but he has the wrong person. And Scalia, I don't think this is going to go through an Obama White House or a Clinton, a Hillary Clinton White House. How about Joe Pesci Day? I think that's something that we could all rally around, talk about a, a, a great Italian-American here. Uh, in terms of the pipeline, uh, poke fun at David, but I largely agree with David. This oil and gas is not staying in the ground, despite what some, not necessarily Native American activists, but activists on the, on the environmental for activists left, 
would like, which is to, to somehow, uh, just fight the whole fossil fuel, um, everything that fossil fuel has done for economic growth in the Western world, this oil and gas is not staying in the ground. It is coming out of the ground. The question is, how do you transport it? Do you transport it by pipeline, or do you transport it by rail and road? The number of incidents and accidents by rail and road hugely dwarf the number of pipeline incidents there have been. So uh, to me, this strikes as feel-good symbolism. Let's protest against fossil fuels at, 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 at any opportunity. But this pipeline has been well vetted. Uh, as David points out, the, the, the Native Americans really do not have a legitimate gripe, but yet there, it, this whole thing has been stirred up, as everything does, and you wonder why in this country we can't deal with infrastructure, because whenever anyone tries to deal with major infrastructure, the process and ultimately the litigation becomes endless. Kira, as you see what the city of Denver did, I mean, the city of Denver has a strong tradition both with uh, a lot of cultures, uh, Native Americans, Hispanics, Italians. Mm -hmm. A lot of the Denver Italians, frankly, have moved off to the suburbs. That's where my family is at. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not really sure I would celebrate Anton Scalia Day or Joe Pesci Day. I'd probably go with Amerigo Vespucci. We need two continents <laughs> after the guy. So I'm figuring that won't be so bad. But uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about the impact of what the city of Denver decided this week, the, the council? Well, I, first of all, I, I'm on record uh, for Bobby De Niro. I, I think Bobby De Niro. Would be, I mean, he he could really bring some you know oomph to the day. I think, but a little bit. As far as here in Denver and Indigenous Peoples Day, um, I think it it is a good a feel good gesture, of course. Um, um, and I think that many in the Latino community would prefer to have something with a bit more of an action component. Uh, you just mentioned um, the, you know, move to the suburbs by so many of our um, Italian-American um, neighbors. And um, it's interesting because I uh, just uh, this week wrote a story about this year's uh, Richard T. Castro um, distinguished professor um, at Metropolitan State University, um, and Laura Gomez, and Laura is a, um, I should call her Dr. Gomez, is um, um, much of her research has been done on the concept of manifest destiny and um, the removal and displacement of so many of um, uh, of the indigenous peoples in the 1800s and Mexican Americans, and um, one of the uh, the issues that they're focusing on so strongly over in um, Highland next week and in other parts of uh, traditionally Latino neighborhoods is a modern day concept of. Um, uh, manifest destiny, which is gentrification, mm -hmm. and um, the removal of so many of the Latino um, um, and displacement of so many of, of the traditionally Latino communities um, in Denver, West Denver, um, Globeville, and Elyria Swansea mm -hmm. are heavily Latino neighborhoods that are seriously being threatened by um, big money developers coming in. And so um, it'll be interesting to see whether the city council and the Denver city government is willing to um, actually put their money with where their mouth is in terms of doing more than just feel good, um, you know, renaming of days and actually address a very real um, situation that's, you know, has some parallels to um, what's going on now. Sure. 
Donald Trump used his stop in Colorado on Monday to fully embrace his strategy to not pay federal taxes, allegedly, for the last 18 years. Meanwhile, a Monmouth University poll released this week shows him 11 points down in Colorado. Uh, David, this was it seemed to be a pretty big development because only a couple weeks ago we saw a poll that showed him almost neck and neck in Colorado. Now it seems to be back to double digits. Which part of that momentum do you believe? Um, he had the momentum, and, and he choked uh, at the debate. We'll, we'll see if he can salvage something on Sunday. I kind of doubt it, but it's possible. Quinnipiac, which is a well-respected pollster nationally, had him ahead nine points among independents nationally before the debate, and now he's, he's down two with them. Monmouth, showing him down 11 in Colorado, uh, is, is also very highly respected, 538.com, the, uh, the Nate uh, Cohn site. Uh, Nate Silver. Nate Silver. So, Silver, sorry. Um, anyway, rates him as, uh, thank you for the interruption, by the way, it was constructive. Um, <laughs> gives Monmouth an A-plus for its methodology and, and, its, uh, and its record. On the taxes, even more BS from Trump, because now he's the you know the tax genius and everything. Well, if you read the New York Times story, the account, the tax accountant who actually pulled this off, uh, said that when Trump and his wife came in, Trump had like very little to say, and the wife was the only one who had sort of intelligent questions. And it was it, it was quite clever because this 916 billion dollar loss, you know, which he can then offset against future income, and that's understandable. If you lose money one year, then you know, that, that counts against your income in future years. He didn't actually lose the money. It was personally, but it was the banks who loaned him the money that he lost it to, and then he had somebody else, a, sec, a, a related corporation, buy up their debt for pennies on the dollar, the money they loaned him, which he lost and couldn't pay back, and then through clever tax accounting, he gets to assimilate that and treat it as his own loss. And by the way, and so he's not the genius of the tax code, although his, his tax accountant was. Um, and by the way, that loophole has been closed in 2002 by a bill that passed the U.S. Senate with 89 votes in favor of it, including Senator Clinton at the time. Eric, uh, I saw a few more ads for Trump over the last couple of weeks, but I didn't see a whole lot more for Hillary Clinton. Um, I use that a little bit more as a gauge of if we're still a swing state or not. Uh, we still saw the different uh, ballot issues and congressional races be able to get some air time. So is Colorado swing state, do we get our status back, or is it back to the Hillary column? Two words, sort of. We're sort of a swing state. We're not at the epicenter of swing states like we've been in the last couple presidential cycles, but we're hanging around the edges of it. This electorate, there is a larger group of undecided or somewhat movable voters than we've seen in the last couple presidential cycles, simply because the overwhelming sentiment out there is we don't want to elect either of them. And as one of them gets closer, there is a pullback. So there is a body of voters out there that is in play. It had trended, it trended Hillary sharply after the conventions when Trump had an awful several weeks. Then as Hillary had a rough September, it started trending toward Trump. It narrowed the race. Now after an awful debate for Trump, it is trending the other way. I still do not believe Colorado is ultimately in play. 11 might be a slightly high number, but it is closer to 11 than it is to a 50-50 race. It's somewhere it's somewhere in that direction. All you need to do is win the state by one vote in order to get all nine electoral votes. I would be 
let's put it this way. If, if Donald Trump walks off with Colorado's nine electoral votes, those will not be the nine decisive electoral votes. They will just add to some kind of national trend that is undiscernible at this particular point. Kara, the mail-in ballots for Coloradans uh, start going out, uh, I think, the end of next week. So we're, we're getting close to the point where folks can make their vote and, 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 and write off this election. Uh, is there a limited window here to boost your momentum back up if you're Donald Trump? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, ballots go out, mail ballots go out um, beginning uh, October 17th and 10 days uh, here in Colorado. Um, I checked, you know, my go-to, which is Nate Silver 538, um, this morning, and if the election were held today, um, he's predicting that uh, uh, Hillary Clinton would win with 85.5%. Um, just with the, the polls that have been done, um, if it's polls only, she'd win on 85% certainty. Is that what it is? Probability of winning. Likelihood, yeah. likelihood of winning. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> or um, interrupting. Or, and, and interrupting. And, um, um, you know, looking at the polls only, the likelihood of her vote, of her winning on election day is 79%. I mean, that's, Ohio has, has gone light blue. That could go back. Um, Iowa has gone light blue. That could go back. Um, everything, I think, of course, is still in play. It's October after all but um, but in all I, I don't I don't see a, a chance for uh, Trump being able to recover um, although we will have a great time um, talking about the possibilities we still have a few more weeks of that uh, Patty does do you think there's anything that is not a huge surprise to the rest of the nation that changes momentum in Colorado for Donald Trump well, let's go forward. So 10 days from now, we'll get our ballots. I don't think there are a lot of people who are going to be really, really eager to check the right box. I mean, I think people will take their time on some of it. There will be a, some supporters on either side who might do it quickly, but everyone else is just going to be looking at it like some really smelly item in the middle of their <laughs> kitchen table. Uh, but look backwards 10 days. So two Mondays ago where we had that debate, the pundits nationally were busy saying Colorado was a swing state, Colorado is heated, it's neck and neck, and all of a sudden we see what a difference those 10 days have made. So Hillary blows it at the next um, debate, and it could swing again. If, if, if Trump does very, very well, which seems almost beyond belief, but possible, and if Hillary blows it, we could see another swing. Wow. And the only thing that might be the change in it, if uh, the Broncos or the Rockies were playing on Sunday night, and then no Colorado would ever watch the debate, so she could do whatever she wants. Right, exactly. But it would be, it would be status quo yeah, right now. Exactly. A Denver Post report showed this week that over $35 million has been spent on ballot issue campaigns in Colorado to date. Opponents of the proposed cigarette tax increase have spent $10 million of those dollars, the most so far. The second highest total is the Yes on Proposition 106 campaign, the Medical Aid and Dine Initiative. Uh, Eric, as you look at the money spent on the ballot initiatives, for me, it seems because we don't have a Senate race, uh, you know, competitive Senate race, uh, and there's a lot more air in the room to do it, were you still surprised? by how much money is being spent so far? Oh, it's always shocking when you see these numbers. It leads me to really question some life decisions I made to get out of that line of work because <laughs> there is a ton of money being spent in that particular game these days. 
I, I keep thinking of what if we had some of these other propositions on the ballot that aren't there? What if we had a major fracking fight? Can you imagine what those numbers would be if we had the grocery store, beer and wine issue with, and all the opposition to that? Or if we had a big Tabor fight? Those all, three of those were all slated for the ballot. Imagine what this would have been like. TV stations, you know, are not living off of presidential campaign money in Colorado this year. There's only a modest amount of that. There, the Senate money is very, very modest. So the you know, TV sales execs are very happy for these ballot measures. Uh, the interesting piece on the tobacco side is I was involved in the campaign 12 years ago to do the last tobacco tax increase in Colorado. I have nothing to do with the current campaign. And 12 years ago, the tobacco industry didn't play here. They decided that there was no way of defeating that um, and that the campaign was, the proponent's campaign was strong enough that the tobacco industry took a pass. This time, they're not taking a pass. I still think they're likely to lose. I think the proposition is likely to pass. But they must have some polling that says they're at least within shouting distance because they started with $5 million. They now have anteed up another $5 million to oppose it. So uh, perhaps they have some polling that is interesting and giving them some reason for encouragement. Kerry, we often hear about outside money coming in to influence local politics. Well, clearly, we are seeing this $10 million. There aren't any tobacco companies in Colorado. Uh, lots of money for the Yes on Proposition 106 campaign. That's not all coming from Colorado. So uh, mm -hmm. your thoughts on seeing these big totals? Well, um, I don't have a lot of thoughts on the big totals per se because there just hasn't been enough time or enough um, person power um, media-wise to be able to really scrutinize uh, some of these ballot measures. I mean, we've got nine ballots or nine measures on the statewide ballot this year that, um, you know, Patty mentioned people in, starting in 10 days are going to get their ballots and open them up and say, what in the heck is this? And they're going to recognize Trump and Clinton. Um, but then as we're filtering down, it's more and more what am I even look? What am I even looking at? The tobacco tax and, you know, the constitutional reform and Colorado Care. All of these issues um, should be issues that we should be talking about front and center beyond this table. And um, and you know that's just not happening because of, you know, the overwhelming um, importance put on uh, the presidential race. Sure. So, um, and that doesn't even. We're not even talking about the local measures like the scientific and cultural tax sure. and all of the school bond um, measures that are on the ballot all over the state. Um, it's so it's, it's a huge ballot. And then there are the judges, which <laughs> pages and pages of judges. You're inspiring a lot of voters out there. They're going to get this right. book in the mail. So yeah. get ready and, and study your blue books because it's really going to be up to the voters to you know make sure that they're trying to read through and mm -hmm. get as educated as they can. Patty, you think people will be able to get as educated as they can with the size of the ballot coming? If they start now, my blue book just <laughs> arrived, went through my mail chute, and I think dented the floor. I mean, it was big. And that's only the state issues. It doesn't get into the regional issues. It doesn't get into the city issues. Uh, Eric was talking about the polling for the tobacco tax. and. I, the tobacco companies may be following polling, but whoever is putting money into Colorado Cares is not paying attention to the polling, obviously, because that is clearly going down. Now we know why health care is so expensive. No one is bothering to balance, you know, cause and effect. <laughs> David, wrap it up for us. The biggest disparity on any statewide ballot issue between the enormous pile 
of corporate special interest money on the one hand and just a little bit of money from the citizens on the other hand is the on amendment 71 to make it almost impossible for voters to put initiatives on the ballot they call it raise the bar independence institute and common cause are working together against it and we call it rig the bar and it turns out based on a report from our investigative reporter Todd Shepard on complete Colorado the raise the bar people couldn't even meet their own standard. You have to get at least 2% of the registered voters in every one of the 35 state Senate districts around the state, and they couldn't even manage to do that. They failed in at least six Senate districts, maybe more. So they, the measure itself shows how impossible they would make it for citizens to ever amend the Constitution in the future. Let's get to our favorite part of the show. We're running out of time. Disgrace of the week. Patty, start us off. Another long-running disgrace, the Rocky Platts nuclear weapons plant, which has been cleaned up and is supposed to become a refuge. No matter how you feel about that, you should go to some of the hearings they're having now talking with Fish and Wildlife to talk about what you should do with that open space. David. The far-left public relations operative, she was also involved in the uh, No Condoms for Sweet Pea uh, ad against Mark Udall a few years ago, uh, who tweeted out against somebody who was, this guy was opposing the minimum wage increase, and she tweeted this racist thing that said, oh, because if you're, you're this particular race, you know, what, your opinion shouldn't count anyway. Well, as it turns out, the guy actually is, is biracial, but so what? You know, people have any race or multiple races or any gender or multiple ought to be able to be able to speak out on whatever issue they want, including in minimum wages, without having some privileged lefty harridan come in and tell them they can't because of who they are. Check your privilege, lady. Harumph. Eric. Dominic, you and I have been taping a number of debates in this studio for the Colorado Decide mm -hmm. series, including we had Ken Buck here and running against his opponent which is not a competitive race, and Jared Polis, both Ken Buck and Jared Polis showed up, even though those aren't competitive races. We have two congresspeople from Colorado who are refusing to debate, whether it's in this studio or any studio. One is Diana DeGette here in Denver. One is Ed Perlmutter. Part of your job is to face the voters, even if you have a safe district, even if your reelection is assured. Show up. I don't care if it's in this studio, but show up and do a few debates. That's yep. the least we can ask. I couldn't agree more. Throw Michael Bennett right into that same file. He's doing two debates the entire state. That's two more than DeGette uh, or Perlmutter. That's the good point. Good point. Kara? Uh, I think the creepy clowns have got to be my disgrace <laughs> of the week uh, on that note. Yeah. Uh, let's go to say some nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty. Beer, a fabulous industry here in Colorado. Here, <laughs> here. The David. law enforcement officers at the University of Colorado who effectively responded to the uh, crazy guy with the machete. Eric. Great story in the Denver Post about uh, the viaduct under East 46th Avenue where the local mm. neighborhood has been painting murals on it. It's been a rundown part. And uh, these murals aren't going to last forever because there are obviously plans for that road. But uh, it is a nice piece of renovation and neighborhood artwork. Kara. Happy birthday this week to Charlie Burrell. Charles Burrell is 96 years young That's this week. Fantastic. And he is uh, the jazz um, bassist and great um, um, classical pianist, or uh, bassist is uh, just 
can't, can't get any better than that. Legend. Happy birthday. Absolutely. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to stick around tonight for Colorado Decides, where we start our look at the congressional races, starting with Congressional District 4 with Ken Buck and Bob C. And stay tuned at 930 to see our 2016 Both Sides of the Story tournament roll on. This week, George Washington High School takes on the Colorado Care Debate. You don't want to miss it. Also, be sure to check out the CIO podcast feed on iTunes. We're adding our debate programs to the feed so you can catch those special election programs there all this month. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.